listening to Phenomenology Club Radio. Hello and thank you for listening to this audio podcast. I am Buttress, the host of Phenomenology Club, which is an interactive online community of artists and thinkers centered around this content that I create and curate online for us to talk about which is why both our tagline for Phenomenology Club and the subtitle for this discussion series is Talk About It. Most of these uploads are originally streamed live on our YouTube page. If you're interested in interacting with those as they happen live, please go subscribe and turn on the notifications at youtube.com slash phenomenologyclub. And in general, to learn more about our club, what we do, and how you can become a member for only $1 a month, please visit our website at www.phenomenology.club. Thank you for listening. Stay trippy. Hello, everybody. It's me again, Buttress, also known as Bethany of New Jersey. And here in New Jersey, it's raining. It's beautiful. Um, And I'm speaking to you 22 minutes past midnight, another late night stream. Sorry to anybody who this inconveniences, but I am very excited working on music at this moment. And I got too excited and I needed a break. You know, when you get too into a thing, especially those of you who work on music and you just get so, so mm, immersed to the point where you need to take some step back but you can't because you're just having so much fun listening to the music so you just listen to the thing over and over again and totally like lose touch with everything (laughs) that you understand about what's working and not working about it you know what I mean forget it just forget it um hello hello look at all you people hello welcome to this place um first things first I wanted to start off with a little disclaimer I just realized that the little text tidbit I copy and paste into all the descriptions for the YouTube uploads and also the uh, Spotify uploads, the Patreon link was fucking wrong. So all this time I've been mentioning the Patreon, I fucked it up. It it was patreon.com slash phenomenology.club. There is no dot in that hyperlink it's patreon.com slash phenomenology club i fixed it in every upload as far as i know so now you all know if you're trying to get into the patreon and try to follow that link and it was broken now you know marcello says when is phenomenology club merch coming funny you ask because i actually uh just spoke with my friend about making some uh, could you guys tell me? Are you guys actually interested in such a thing? I was thinking about making a t-shirt with the uh, vision chart on it. One of these many vision chart designs I have for Phenomenology Club. Um, would you guys be interested in such a thing? That or maybe a poster as well. Maybe one of each. I don't know. I don't know. If you're interested, let me know because I'm very curious about who would purchase such a thing. Um, but anyway, so, uh, the last upload I did, (laughs) I listened to it, and I sound absolutely fucking insane and confused. Um, I had just 
read 30 pages of Hegel's Phenomenology of Spirit, and I was so excited. I think I made some sense. It's definitely a fun upload. You should listen to it. But I, I, I'm just losing my shit <laughs> because I it'd been a few weeks since I'd read some philosophy and I jumped right back into it reading Hegel and I just got so fucking excited and I'm still so fucking excited. And now that you all have the correct Patreon link, I hope that you will listen to that upload and how, how excited you could be get a glimpse of how excited you could be if you read some Hegel and joined our speed reading series. The next thing we're going to read is Karl Marx's critique of Hegel from 1844. And all of you communists out there know already that Hegel is probably Karl Marx's biggest influence. So I'm very excited now to read his critique of Hegel. Um, anyway, so I I said in that upload that, you know, Phenomenology Club does not exist to be something that is super academic or lecturely. Uh, I want to work with concepts more, or philosophical concepts more than I want to work with the literal historical canon of philosophy because I feel like this alienates a lot of people who have no knowledge of philosophy historically um, but want to interface with it. I don't feel like there's too many uh venues out there that people can do this you know when you try to get into philosophy I feel like immediately you're met with all of these various materials where people are already referencing all these specific authors nobody has ever heard of if you've never engaged with philosophy and it's easy to become intimidated up front and I don't want to intimidate people or scare people away um but oh my voice is soothing I'm glad you think that. I don't think it's always soothing. Somebody said, uh, I saw a thing they posted that they had a hard time listening to Phenomenology Club because they said they could feel my, they could hear my jaw clenching. <laughs> and I was wondering if that's true because I, I actually feel like, especially when I'm too geeked, because, you know, it's no secret. I love uppers. Uh, when I'm too geeked, I actually feel like my jaw is too loose and I develop this like pseudo lisp kind of, but maybe I am clenching. I don't really know, but th whenever I get into like lisp territory, I feel my phenomena of how I feel <laughs> in my mouth when I'm speaking is actually that my jaw is like unhinged and I develop this sort of a lisp thing. But right now, even though I am geeked, I'm feeling very calm, very collected. And to pick up where I just left off speaking, um, what I wanted to say is that, thank you, thank you, I'm glad you guys like my soothing voice <laughs> right now. I mean, don't get too excited, because, you know, it could change very quickly. Um, so even though I don't like to deal too much with specific philosophers on this channel, I do also think that it's a nice opportunity uh, for me to introduce some of you who have no experience with philosophy to certain thinkers. So I would like to start tonight's discussion with, um, by introing this idea, I want to talk about faith tonight. Um, and I thought that I would introduce this discussion by talking a little bit about Søren Kierkegaard, the famous 19th century Danish philosopher who is pictured in the thumbnail for this upload. And actually, 
I don't speak Danish, obviously. <laughs> and um, I wanted to know how to pronounce Soren. So I looked it up. And first of all, I would never have guessed that this is how you pronounce his first name. But also his last name, the Danish pronunciation is quite different from how I've heard other English speakers uh, ever say his name. So you guys ready to hear Danish people pronouncing this man's name, Søren Kierkegaard. Are you ready? Ready to have your mind blown? Get ready for this. So this is a website I found. Uh, and multiple Danish speakers have uploaded themselves pronunciating this name for us so we can know how Danish people say it. This is how it's really said. Ready? Søren Kierkegaard. The fuck? Let's hear that one more time. Sean Kierkegaard. Sean Kierkegaard. Sean <laughs> Kierkegaard. We got another Danish speaker. Let's hear this one. Sean Kierkegaard. Sean Kierkegaard. Sean Kierkegaard. Sean Kierkegaard. <laughs> Damn. Sean Kierkegaard. Sean Kierkegaard. That one's got like a k Sean Kierkegaard. Sean Kierkegaard. Sean Kierkegaard. Søren Kierkegaard. Søren Kierkegaard. Søren Kierkegaard. Anyway, I thought that was fun. I'm just going to say Kierkegaard because I'm from America and I do what I want. America. Fuck yeah. Mr. Shedder says they be too damn high. Aren't we all? Aren't we all? Søren Kierkegaard. Anyway, are any of you familiar with Søren Kierkegaard? He's a very famous philosopher. Um, my first introduction to him, he might be one of the first philosophers I ever heard anybody talk about in great detail because, uh, as some of you know, I was raised in a very Christian environment and I had very minimal exposure to really any philosophy. And I remember one of the first people I ever met, he was also a Christian, he ended up getting a... Uh, going to college for philosophy, and he loved Sun Kierkegaard. Um, and Sun Kierkegaard uh, <laughs> is um, probably most well known for being the most Christian philosopher ever. I mean, he is a philosopher, and he has some interesting things, but all I have read is Fear and Trembling. Um, which is a work he published in 1843. I read it in full. I forget how long it is, maybe a hundred something pages. Um, and I just thought it was one of the most ridiculous things I've ever read. And I thought it was terrible, but I like it. I like it. I like Sun Kierkegaard because he just, he just was about it. He was about his pain. And I like that. I like I like people who are genuinely suffering. No matter what dumb bullshit you say, I still think he's, I think he's real as fuck. Um, but anyway, so Sun Kierkegaard is very famous for some of the things that he says about faith in particular um, and anxiety. Two things that this, this literature, this, this published work, Fear and Trembling, is very much about. Um, so I wanted to read some quotes. And in looking up some quotes uh, from Sun Kierkegaard, uh, I found out that Joe Biden, I probably shouldn't laugh. I don't care. Cancel me. I'm so over fucking internet morality. Joe Biden 
loves this sun kick <laughs> quote because um, he he it gave him strength when his son Bo died, which I forgot that Joe Biden had a son that died. How'd he die? I don't care. Fuck everybody. But let's read the quote. So this quote is from the Gospel of Sufferings by Sun Kierkegaard. Uh, where Kierkegaard, <laughs> fuck it, I'm sorry, this is so annoying, I'm gonna stop. Kierkegaard, there we go, America. Kierkegaard is responding to um, this Bible verse from the New Testament. Matthew, book 11, verse 30, I mean chapter 11, verse 30. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Um, and this is the quote by Sun Kierkegaard. <laughs> Fuck you. you. Ready? Ready for this wisdom? This is from Gospel of Sufferings. <laughs> like I said, isn't that a great... That should be like a metal band's album. Especially like a Danish metal band. Because, you know, there's so much death metal or black metal. Whatever the nerds are going to come for me for not knowing which one. Which one is it? I know one of you are nerds. Black metal, death metal. Which one's from Scandinavia? The big one. I don't care. You're all some nerds. But they should name an album. Gospel of Sufferings. That would rule. So here's the quote. The believer humanly comprehends how heavy the suffering is. But in faith's wonder that it is beneficial to him. He devoutly says it is light. Humanly he says it is impossible. But he says it again in faith's wonder. That what he humanly cannot understand is beneficial to him. In other words, when sagacity is able to perceive the beneficialness, then faith cannot see God. But when in the dark night of suffering, sagacity cannot see a handbreadth ahead of it, then faith can see God, since faith sees best in the dark. <laughs> I don't know this word sagacity or if I'm even pronouncing it correctly. So while we're here together <laughs> listening to pronunciations, let's let's look up this one as well. Sagacity. Ready? Oh, come on. <laughs> oh, I love Miriam. Sagacity. The quality of being sagacious. No shit, you motherfucker. What's sagacious? Just tell me. Sagacious. And are we pronouncing this? Hold on, let's hear it. Sagacious. 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 <laughs> Gay. <laughs> Sagacious. <laughs> Wait, what about sagacity? Sagacity. Damn it. Sagacity. Sagacity. Sagacious. Sagacious. <laughs> Definition of sagacious. Sagacious. Of keen and far-sighted penetration and judgment. Caused by or indicating acute discernment. Okay, so it's basically a poetic way to um, describe keen understanding, far-sighted judgment. Okay, I see why Kierkegaard loves it. Um, so Joe Biden loves this quote that I just read. Because I, I guess it gives him faith. Faith. Um, and faith is a thing, a concept that is used so many different ways. And I think that it's popularized 
mostly by things like religion, um, but also used in such a way where when we get into our various arguments, especially about things like scientific versus religious thinking, people say that ultimately, at baseline, we all must put faith in something. And even though atheists like myself might criticize Christians for putting faith in a god or faith in the existence of some sort of being external to us or an afterlife or anything, um, that I can only judge them so much because even I too put faith in something, right? I put my faith in science, that science is an institution to be venerated, that science could ever help us come to establish or understand truths. What do you guys think about this? Do you agree with such sentiments? I'd like to hear from you. Do you think that at baseline, an element of faith is required to really put trust in anything? And also, how do you define faith? Let's get some, um, some feedback. What do you think? I'll put on some waiting music. <laughs> Faith. Faith is being sure of what we hope for, and certain of what we do not see. Do you have faith? Are you looking for faith? Please stay on the line. All those who have faith, I will come back to this live stream. Please hold on. Hold on to that faith. Do we have any answers? Marcelo says, yes, faith equals trust. Faith equals a belief in something. Charlie says, I don't know if it's required, but I think having faith in something is helpful to one's psyche. Give a human something to believe in and they will want to achieve more goals. Delilah, I think faith is unnecessary in science because science is based on questioning and testing things to make sure. Well, what do you guys think faith is? Marcelo has said, um that they believe faith is trust. Faith is a belief in something. Do you think that that's really all faith is? When people say they have faith in something, are they simply asserting that they have a belief in something? Or is it something more? 
Um, to go back to Kierkegaard for a second, the reason that I found fear and trembling such an absurd <laughs> text is because of how he defines faith and how he defines faith I think is really how a lot of people define faith I'm going to read um, another quote for you while you ponder on what I'm beginning to put forward this is from um, fear and trembling the absurd is not one of the factors which can be discriminated within the proper compass of the understanding. It is not identical with the improbable, the unexpected, the unforeseen. At the moment when the knight made the act of resignation, he was convinced, humanly speaking, of the impossibility. So Kierkegaard, in Fear and Trembling, defines faith as putting confidence in the absurd he says in this in this uh quote that faith is different than the improbable the unexpected the unforeseen and what he means by that is that true faith is to put confidence in a thing that seems completely irrational not just unlikely but totally impossible and this idea is really in accordance with what the Bible puts forward multiple times, but maybe most famously in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, a verse that a lot of us are probably familiar with when it says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. The idea is that faith is not simply belief or confidence, but faith is confidence in things that present as truly irrational, truly absurd, truly impossible. And this is part of how Christians are really supposed to signal their allegiance to Babu Jeebus, right? A.K.A. Jesus Christo. <laughs> A.K.A. Jeebus, the dude. One more Kierkegaard quote and then I'm done with quotes. This is from his journals, 1847. It is the duty of the human understanding to understand that there are things which it cannot understand. It belongs to the imperfection of everything human that man can only attain his desire by passing through its opposite. It is the human duty it is the duty of the human understanding to understand that there are things which it cannot understand. What do you guys think about this? This is really how faith is defined, right? Would you agree? Faith is not simply defined as having confidence in something. It's this idea that you have confidence in a thing that presents as irrational. Do you agree with this? Delilah says, faith is trust without proof. I think that this is often how it's used, yes. Will says, Faith seems to me like you need a trust in something with no evidence, which is stupid. Just like Pascal's wager is stupid. <laughs> um, 
Charlie says, it's more. Faith is devotion. It's belief without substance. It's a vulnerable human experience. So based on all of this, what do you guys think then about the idea that to put or to believe in anything requires faith at some fundamental level? Myself, an atheist, do you believe that I am putting faith in something at my most fundamental levels of understanding the world? Do I put faith in science? Do I have to extend the benefit of a doubt, quote unquote, to put faith in this institution? And in that sense, putting faith in an institution like science is just as unfounded as putting faith in an institution like a religion such as Christianity. What do we think? Are you looking for faith? Please stay on the line. Faith, what is it? Is it sagacious? Is it so very gaseous? Faith, so gay, so gay right now. Do you have faith? Please stay on the line. So, Vibrox says, faith is your belief that something will materialize out of thin air without any reason. Lady Grinning Soul, the object, subject of faith need not be irrational. Uh, same user, yes, science is based on faith in some ways. We don't know the sun will rise tomorrow. We accept it as a premise. Okay. Now, here's where I want to posit something. I personally feel as if the very concept of faith itself is entirely absurd. Kierkegaard says faith is to put trust in the absurd. I say faith is in and of itself an absurd concept and it does not exist at least what we put forward as faith being does not exist. I believe it is a true impossibility to have true faith as Kierkegaard describes it. And Lady Grinning Soul, you just said, science is based on faith in some ways. We don't know the sun will rise tomorrow. We accept it as a premise. And I disagree, actually, because I believe that literally everything all of us believe, whether you believe in God or in no God, or that the sun will rise tomorrow or the sun will not rise tomorrow, all of these things that we believe are involuntary. I don't think that any of us choose to believe anything. And in that sense, I can't put faith in anything. How could I convince myself of something that seems truly absurd? I can't. I can try my hardest, but can you? If somebody told you the sky is actually purple, if you had no reason to 
believe in such a thing, which why would you? Because who is this random person telling me the sky is purple? Could you really force yourself to put faith in that? This is the kind of thing Kierkegaard is suggesting in his work, Fear and Trembling. And I just find it to be absolutely absurd, especially since the examples he gives just makes it so much more absurd. He gives this example throughout the text of Abraham. Abraham is the famous Old Testament figure who was asked by God to sacrifice his one and only son Isaac to God. And the idea that Kierkegaard puts forward is that Abraham put faith in this idea that things would be okay even though the possibility that things would be okay presented as a total impossibility which I just find to be absolutely absurd because Abraham is someone who had already witnessed God's many miracles in his own lifetime. The number one miracle being the conception of his son Isaac who took so long to be conceived because his wife uh, Sarai was barren. So uh, that don't make no fucking sense. And this idea that we have to put faith in science to believe it and that in that sense me extending faith to science even though it's true that on the most fundamental level i can't necessarily rationalize that such an institution would be useful in any way or point to a thing like truths um i don't believe that this is really an accurate way to describe what's happening here in philosophy especially um, when we talk about things like what you just mentioned, Lady Grinning Soul, that we don't know the sun is going to rise tomorrow, right? Um, that may be true. I cannot rationalize why I believe the sun will rise tomorrow. But my belief that the sun will rise tomorrow is absolutely involuntary. And it's predicated on the fact that every day of my existence in this earth so far, the sun has risen. And to think of David Hume's famous theory or problem of induction, a thing I've brought up a few times now on this channel, and which you all should become acquainted with, this idea that we can't actually rationalize in our philosophies a thing like the sun will rise tomorrow because we can't rationalize that cause and effect is a rational process at all. There is no rational way to describe the fact that all of our observations are predicated on this reality, that the more we observe a thing happening in a certain way, following this certain set of conditions, the more likely it is true that that thing will be repeated if we repeat it using the same set of conditions i've given the example a few times but i'll do it again this idea that if i'm holding a rock in my hand if i open my hand and the rock falls to the ground you know that's an observation but what what could follow from that what could make me rationalize that if i do it again put the rock back in my hand open my palm again and the rock falls even that does not offer any sort of rational proof for the idea that it will fall again and again the more I do this. It's, it's totally possible that I could open my hand one day and the rock floats into the sky. There's no rational way to, to describe what's happening here. But this is why many philosophers, especially in the past 
oh, I'm so bad at centuries. But you see philosophers integrate more and more in the past six centuries in Western philosophy. We've been going through this in our speed reading series a bit. I mean, and really since the ancient Greeks, even there's there's hints of this. But this idea that perhaps these processes of human cognition in and of themselves have some sort of built in functionality, a thing like cause and effect, you know, maybe cause and effect in and of itself is not even a real thing. It's a concept we came up with to illustrate how our cognition is already working, you know. The fact that literally everything comes to us by way of what is observable. This is what empirical means. Empiricism is the mode of the natural sciences. And it means that all knowledge comes to us by way of what is observable. But observation itself has its own specific functionality. So perhaps as we move forward, especially considering that neuroscience is an entirely new field of natural sciences really from the past century alone i suspect that we will find and uncover more and more about our very structures of cognition that serve as the platform for all of these processes that we find so hard to rationalize we have to come up with concepts like faith to describe them What do you guys think about this? Um, do you think that this idea of faith, um, is it even a useful concept? Because I have to say, personally, I don't really think that it is for all the reasons that I just described. I don't think that anybody voluntarily chooses to believe something that presents as irrational to them. I think that it kind of makes sense that faith is a thing put forward so much by Christians in particular. And apologies if any of you are Christians. I'm sure there's many Christians that are nice people. I don't really know any anymore. I left that world a long time ago, but I think that it's not a coincidence that Christians often put faith uh, forward as this thing where it's like, I just, I just uh, can't help it, <laughs> or I, 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 I choose to have faith or whatever. It's like, you don't choose to have faith. You just believe there's a God and you know that you haven't thought about it so much and that when you do think about it so much you begin to get confused because you know it doesn't make sense. So what you do instead is refuse to think about it and say that you have faith because that sounds better than saying, dude, I don't know. I know this shit doesn't make any sense, but like leave me alone, okay? Leave me alone. I believe there's a God. I believe... All of existence is so wonderful and amazing and I cannot comprehend, nor do I wish to spend the time trying to comprehend this idea that perhaps this all came out of some other process instead of some fucking huge guy in the sky crafting it with his little fucking sculptural tools like the Bible has painted me so such nice images of and they bring me comfort and this is all I've ever known. So stop shitting on my faith. You don't have faith. Faith's not real. Welcome to my gospel of sufferings. Vibrox says, we do shit and shit happens. And if it keeps happening the same way, we calculate the average of it and boom, it's a measurement. Haha. <laughs> I mean, perhaps in some incarnation, Vibrox, but 
you can't even I mean how can you use a thing like measurement a concept like measurement and averaging which also arises out of this process of observation to be the justification for a thing like observation this is why people say you need to put faith in science because at the most fundamental level you cannot rationalize a lot of the principles of science itself but science itself as an institution, as a practice, as a philosophy, because that's really all science is at baseline. And there is a science of everything. And even Christianity follows this same process as much as it wants to deny this. Science itself simply seeks to be an explicit illustration of how our human cognition already functions. What does science describe? How does science work? Science at its most fundamental really only describes the most simplest of processes, a process that we are all embroiled in since the time we fucking open our eyes into this earth, but even sooner, really. I don't know when we start thinking in the womb, but we be thinking in there too, okay? Don't get it twisted. But science works basically by an individual, you, me, observing, making something the object of our observation, and then through a series of testing, trying to come to some sort of conclusion about the object that we are observing. And using what we conclude about this object or hypothesize about it, thus this object of our observation to advance then to the next observation and as we go along to integrate all these various observations and conclusions we draw about them into the next step it's in this constant process of becoming of knowing something this is the natural mode that we are immersed in so it doesn't really make sense to try to paint it in such a way where we can say oh this is this demonstrates faith this does not demonstrate faith because really it's all involuntary um even to say this belief is rational this belief is irrational even the most irrational belief uh the person that holds it is still being rational intrapersonally i mean think of like flat earth or something flat earthers genuinely believe what they believe they have come to a rational conclusion and they use the same sorts of <laughs> tools not tools. they follow the same exact trajectory that we follow when we say flat earth is fucking stupid you know um so how do we try to come to agreement then about this sorts of things really by trying to illuminate the process that is really the only way that we can establish any sort of criteria here it's not really that we can judge the content of any belief against another belief we have to judge the process that led us to that belief you know and so we can say that flat earthers are stupid because you 
take the word of this random guy on the internet thing and nothing else has ever suggested this. It's so likely fabricated in some guy's random imaginations. And what are the chances that every astronaut that's ever been to space is lying to all of us? What are the chances that this and that and this and that? But what we judge is the process. You know, the conclusions are in and of themselves, I would say, insubstantial when it comes to a thing like being rational or irrational i don't think any statement is true or untrue it is only more or less true and you determine the truth of any statement by examining the criteria for reaching such a statement Level C says, this is crazy. I'm watching your stream in 1.5 live. So are you in the future right now? If you're listening in 1.5 live, does that mean that you're ahead of me right now? Holy shit. Oh, don't get me bugging out about Hegel again. And the now. 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 When is now? Is it right now? It's gone. Boom. Bye. Boom. Bye. Bye. Now. but you know i'll probably butcher this i'm gonna try not to get into hegel but the hegel is still just like swimming in my mind i love that reading so much and i encourage anybody who wants to get fucked up to read the hegel it's on our website which you can access if you pay one dollar on the patreon but just look it up anyway the translation we read was by terry pinkard and you can find it in full online But Hegel says something really related to this idea that essentially what we are doing when we try to come to truths and why we get into such discussions about um, whether or not such a thing as faith exists, whether or not we have to extend faith to an institution like science instead of Christianity or the distinctions that could exist between objective and subjective truth, or coming to conclusions such as life is meaningless while using a system of meaning to get to that statement itself. He describes as if we are in this process always of trying to describe a thing that we experience as pointing to truth. He calls it a ray of light. And that this ray of light is only ever actualized through our experiencing it. He says that it is refracted through us. And this is the only way that we ever even interact with this ray. There is no way to even conceive of its existence. This ray of truth external to us. We only know it because it's a thing that interacts with us. And we interact with it. And it comes from cognition itself. And it's really interesting when you think about it because it's so true that humans fall into these modes where they feel as if truths exist external to us and even those of us who can acknowledge that truth itself is a construct and all knowledge is a construct and in that sense it is up to us to make the best best truths and the best systems of knowledge and of meaning even we still treat this idea in some way as if we are some lens that taints truths you know that 
if we want to get to what is closest to the most objective, quote unquote, that we ourselves are an obstacle in this process of coming to know truths. But I think it's so true that the very concept of truth and the idea of truth is not a thing that we should think about as being tainted by us or external to us, a thing we interact with and manipulate through our own processes of trying to know about it. The very idea of truth comes from us. The very idea of truth is inspired by us. We inspired ourselves into coming up with the concept of truth to describe things that we're already doing, drawing conclusions about our external environment that we are at all, all times cognizing about. Isn't that beautiful? Give it up for us. Humanity fucking rules. Don't ever forget it. We are awesome. <laughs> and to think anything other than that we are awesome, I think, is to be disingenuous with yourself. Because what could be the reason that you think we're not awesome? Hmm? That we do this or that cruel thing? That we're mean? That we're stupid? That we're ugly? But even all of these concepts still arise out of us. What is the standard you're holding us to that you think we are not meeting? It's a standard. That has already been established by your conception of humanity. So how can you dislike humanity for being a thing like cruel? When cruel would not even exist. Or kindness would not even exist. Without a conception of us. Hmm? Hmm? Don't be stupid. Anyway, what do you guys think about this? Faith. <laughs> Give me some closing thoughts and I'll get out of here. Will says, you bought Zizek's book on Hegel because POS is too fucking dense for me. Did you start from the beginning, Will? Because it's definitely true phenomenology of spirit is very dense and difficult. But if you start from the introduction, I, I think it's necessary, really. You have to start from the beginning. Because I think a lot of works of philosophy, I don't know about you guys, but for myself, I like to just like go to random passages like, oh, Let's read Hegel on religion or Hegel on this or whoever on this or that. But when it comes to phenomenology of spirit, you really have to start from ground zero to go anywhere with Hegel. Because it's true. If you open to a random page, it's like, what the fuck is this man talking about? This German bullshit. Lady Grinning Soul says, you're getting all tied up in semantics, girl. Are you speaking to me? Am I getting tied up in semantics? Um, because I absolutely am tied up in semantics. I, I definitely am. <laughs> and this is part of why someone like Hegel is so dense. Because he's also tied up in semantics. Because when it comes to philosophy and systems of truth, we have to concede that ultimately... All of these things are only established through language and semantics. And what is truth except being logically consistent, right? We have to create consistency to create truth. The apple is red. <laughs> I won't break my streak of saying it 
9 out of 10 uploads. The apple is red is a true statement. Why is it a true statement? Because we all agree what an apple is. We all agree what is means or functions as. And we all agree on what red means, right? But these are all just words. But we say the statement is true because all of the words work consistently with each other and I could take the word red out of the apple is red and use red in another context and the same thing is true it's true in another context red every time I use it is consistent apple every time I use it is consistent is every time I use it is consistent it's totally semantics Wittgenstein said that it's all language games and honestly I lost some respect for Wittgenstein after reading Hegel. I just got so excited after Hegel. I'm like, dude, how can anybody just be like, it's not language games? Because Hegel literally said that himself too. But he's, he proposes a solution. I, I mean, it seems this way. I, I'm not done with the text. Who knows? I'm going to continue forward. I'll tell you if I stick with this optimistic viewpoint of Hegel and feeling more pessimistic about Wittgenstein who is kind of like gives me edgy teen vibes anyway sitting at the thanksgiving dinner table like i hate this family no offense i love it it's great it's great but how useful is it as philosophy i don't know i don't know we'll see language in general is just us getting tied up in semantics absolutely Lady says, yes, we do. So let's collectively concede. Yeah, words, words, man, concede, move on. How are you going to move on, though? What do we move on to from words? Genuine question. Let's say we agree with you. Everything is semantics. And a lot of our disagreements are over semantics. What's next? What do we do after words? Do we just do vibes <laughs> should we all just communicate with our vibes hmm that seems like something i would have to extend faith to <laughs> to believe but hey i'll try <laughs> exactly you said i cannot tell if you love or hate hegel i love hegel because he destroyed my life a few days ago. So I hate him. I love him because I hate that he just wrecked my life. I was not ready. I was not ready. I'll tell you why I'm upset. Why Hegel got me feeling really distraught before I get out of here. Hegel got me feeling so distraught because I'm somebody who obviously puts so much faith in phenomenology and this idea that it wouldn't be that difficult. I mean, it would be a tremendous undertaking, but it wouldn't be that difficult to do a thing like standardize philosophical language to a point where we could all agree to use it in a way similar to how we agree to use words when we make a statement like the apple is red. The history of philosophy is very cyclical and the more you look at it the more you realize that there's really only been a few milestones even if we can name 10 philosophers or whatever easily. When you think about who actually changed or altered the trajectory of thought itself there's really only like one or two. Um, and I thought that it wouldn't be that difficult 
to come up with a standardized approach to doing philosophy so that we could more easily integrate it into our many institutions that use it, especially the natural sciences. I mean, natural science only ever advances to its next step when its philosophy changes, really. And politics, I mean, politics still has yet to integrate any meaningful philosophy into itself uh, in, in America, especially. I don't know about other governmental structures. If any of you actually have uh, suggestions for governments to look into, I can't think of any government I've ever heard of that was like, we are only as strong as our philosophical justification for all that we establish with our legislation you know i think that that's so integral because look at the kind of bullshit we get arguments we get into when discussing a thing like the constitution or the bill of rights you know we fight so much over the language because there's no philosophical justification given for any of it but it's so imagine it's so necessary imagine if it had been included it would be so easy a thing like you know the famous idea that uh, we all have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, you know. Look at what kinds of discussions we get into over it now. Like, um, you know, we have the right to life, right? So doesn't that mean the government should provide us with free health care? Shouldn't that be a function of government to provide health care? Um, or, you know, the right to bear arms. If they had just given a philosophical justification for why, we wouldn't have to fight about things like, well, what about uh, these automatic weapons that can fire off 500 million rounds per second versus, like, a more realistic one for if you're trying to defend yourself against some attacker, you know? If they had been like, you have the right to bear arms because you should have the right to... Um, use what amount of force is necessary to fight some you know imagined attacker some shit you know if they just included some ideas why the idea why is not because you might have to go uh into a full-blown war one day with america itself which is the kinds of arguments we put forward for why people should be able to have these insane arsenals in their fucking garage even though you're just like one person like if they had included some philosophical justification, it would be so easier, so much easier to navigate these sorts of disagreements. But I digress. Anyway, I'm going to get out of here. Um, thanks, everyone, for listening. Can you please give me a thumbs up? <laughs> Shameless asking. Whenever I ask, I get more thumbs up. So if you feel like appeasing me, please give me that thumbs up. Thank you for letting me talk about faith. I hope I've given you some things to mull over. Uh, somebody asked me recently to do an upload on the phenomenology of prayer, which I'm really excited about. I think maybe I'll do it next because I have so much to say about that. Um, so, everybody, I hope you have a great night and you stay trippy. Goodbye.